Turn with me to a couple of texts this morning. Actually, you can find three if you want to. And as we progress, we'll look at them as the Lord leads us and helps us. Look with me at uh, Revelation 2, Matthew 6, and Luke 14. Revelation 2, Matthew 6, and Luke 14. Revelation, the second chapter. Now, in the beginning chapters here of Revelation, you understand he is talking, the head of the church is talking to John, and he's writing a message to seven churches. And many times people have taken these seven churches and they have put them into seven church ages and just made it totally dispensational. And I wouldn't say that there's no application there, but... That's not what he said in this passage. There were seven churches that they're all there at the same period of time. Right? And he is communicating a message to each one of these churches. Now certainly this has some prophetic uh, application. But at the same time, I believe all seven of these messages apply today. Now. And you can find churches right now all over the world that are in each of the situations that these churches were then. And you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying there can be no dispensational application, but I'm saying that there's more to it than that, too. These are messages to us, the church, today. All of them. All of them apply to us today. In Revelation, the second chapter, let's look at what he said to the church uh, at Ephesus. He said to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works, your labor, your patience, how you cannot bear them which are evil. You have tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you've borne and you had patience, and for my name's sake you've labored, and you have not fainted. Well, that's all good. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you, because you have left your first love. Everybody say first love. First love. love. He said, remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen. This This is a good thought here. You know, if you've ever been at a place in God, if you've ever been there, you can get back there. And beyond. The devil's such a liar. Sometimes people, you know, they get close to God and maybe get right where they need to be in the will of God and for whatever reason yield to the flesh, get carnal, miss God. And the devil will lie to them and tell them, well, you, you know, you've, you've missed it permanently. You can never get back to where you were with God. Where does the word never come in, you know? That sounds a lot like impossible. And that's not the kind of God we have. That's not the kind of God we serve. Listen to me, friends. If you've ever been at a certain place with God in your life, you can get there again. You can. Because God is a merciful God and a forgiving God and a good God. But the thing that would keep you from getting there is believing that you can't. Believing that the best is past. You know, you don't want to be looking back. If you're looking back, you can't move forward. The writer of Ecclesiastes said this. I won't won't turn back there and look at it. But he said, don't say this. Don't say, what is the cause 
that the former days were better than these. He said, don't say that. That's another way of saying, don't, don't talk about the good old days. Because you're unwise, you're foolish if you talk like that. Because you're looking back. See, a lot of people get romantic about the past. And actually lose perspective. You hear people talking about, you know, way back then. Oh, it was so good back then. And a lot of times it wasn't so good. They've forgotten a lot of stuff. They were poorer, dumber, less developed. (laughs) But people romanticize stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, it was so great. It was so good back then. Or people talk about when God moved. We know when God moved, you know. Man, it was so great. We had such a wonderful time. Well, that's all fine and good. Be thankful for that. But that's acting like that's as good as it'll ever be. And that's not God. That's not true. I mean, the truth is the best in front of you. Always will be. I mean now and a million years from now. Because that's the way God is. Ephesians says that in the ages to come, he's going to show unto us the exceeding riches of his grace. How long is this going to go on? For the ages to come. I mean, it it, it boggles the mind, but thrills the soul. What are we going to be doing a million years from now? We, We can't even wrap our mind around that, but what are we going to be doing? We're not going to be sitting on a cloud, stroking a harp, bored. <laughs> if you want to play a harp, I'm sure you'll get a chance to, but it's, it's going to, there are going to be things going on. God is not a God who peaks. And then that's it. There is no peak to God. There is no peak. In the ages to come, Ephesians says, he's going to show us. How long is it going to last? In the age, it's going to go on and on and on. The ages to come. He's going to show to us the exceeding riches of his grace. I mean, uh, 10,000 years from now, 500,000 years from now, you and I are still going to be around. Not on the earth, not in a mortal condition, hallelujah, but we're going to be around. And God's going to show us that we're going to be much further along than we are now. Oh, we're going to know so much more. We're going to be such, we're going to be different creatures. And yet we'll still be us. Just us, vastly improved. <laughs> New and improved version of us. And God, we're going to be so impressed with God, so amazed with God. And he's going to say, you like this. This, you, this is, you're enjoying this. We'll go, yeah, 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 this is wonderful, wonderful. And he'll say, watch this, look at this. And he'll show us some more of his exceeding riches of his grace. We'll all go, ooh, ah. Wow. <laughs> and then, you know, when we think, well, it can't get any better than this. It can't get any better than this. He'll say, you like this? we go, yeah. Yeah, we like this. He'll say, look at this. Look at this. And he'll unfold some more of the exceeding ri- And we'll go, ooh, wow. And how long is that going to go on? Age, but when does it start? Started when you got saved. <laughs> if it stops, it's your fault in this life. It should be progressing. And it's, you know, 
if there was anything better than God, I'd look into it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, if there was anything in the world that was better than God, I'd check it out. But there's nothing that's close. Nothing. Nothing can compete at all. But there's a lot of people, bless their hearts, they have some really goofy ideas about God. Unbiblical, unscriptural. And they're oppressed feeling and they feel like that if you really love God, then it's going to be Dollsville. I mean, you are going to be no fun. When you really serve God, the fun is over. But I'm telling you, God is the ultimate partier. I'm telling you. Do you, you know, study the Old Testament. He commanded his people to party. <laughs> he did. And when they came, he said, you got to rejoice. I command you. <laughs> he said, you got to come. We got to have a big feast. We got to have a lot of money flowing. We got to have dancing. We got to have music. And he liked it loud enough where they could hear it in the next county. <laughs> I'm telling you. God is the ultimate, ultimate fun person. I mean, he invented fun. He invented it. He is the author of life. And that's not in my message anywhere here, but not in my notes anyway. Revelation 2, he said, remember where you are fallen and repent and do the what? First works or else I'll come to you quickly, remove your candlestick out of his place, except you repent. You know, what happens when the candlestick is removed out of a place? A church fails. A church folds. They close their doors. That's the end of it. Sometimes they go on a little bit just in their own strength, but then there are a lot of churches that have opened and closed. A lot of them. A lot of them that have been, been around for a, a number of years and then just closed. But a church that God has established ought never close. Ever. Never did God open a church and then later on decide he wants to close it. But it's people lose their first love. And other things take the place of the word. And other things take the place of the great commission. And other things take the place of the first commandment. So he, he reproved them and said, you, you need to get back to your first love. Look in Matthew 6 now. Matthew the 6th chapter. Say it again on your way there. First love. This is a very familiar verse to many people, but let's look at it again. Still true, still good. He said in Matthew 6, 31. 6, 31, he said, Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. You know that you and I are not even supposed to think, uh, take a concern at all about what we're going to eat, drink, and wear. And the basic necessities of life, we're just not even bother about that. We're just to count it a given that we're going to have it. Right? Have you ever wasted any time thinking about <laughs> where... Your utility payment's going to come from. Or where are you going to get money for clothes or for the kids' clothes or, uh, you know, grocery money? Well, what are we going to do, man? We're running low. Well, if you, if you live by faith, you don't even bother about it. 
He just got through describing how the fowls of the air, the birds, they don't plant, they don't reap, they eat good. Right? They eat good. God takes care of the birds. The, you know, the terrain, the hillside. I mean, it's not a, it's not spinning, it's not working for it, but God clothes it beautifully. I mean, with the trees and the foliage and the plants. And he says, you know, how about you? We're more valuable to God than the ground, the, the, the dirt and the hillside. That We're more valuable to God than the birds. We ought to just count it a given. We're going to be taken care of. Right? That's faith. You know, when you walk by faith, I've noticed the more I've grown in faith year after year, sometimes I just almost pinch myself and go, you know, are you sure you ought not to be worrying about something? I mean, you got this coming up. You're going to have to have this much money by this time. And you got this. And I'm just, I'm not worried about it. I'm just doing great. And the devil will come and say, man, you ought to be, you, what about this? You're not even thinking about it. But see, that's the way faith is. It's wonderful when you live by faith. No ulcers. No migraines. No lost sleep. No pacing the floor. No driving everybody else nuts. Because you're a basket case. (laughs) No rings under your eyes. No wrinkle in your brow. Just having fun every day. A lot of those people think, well, that's not realistic, Brother Keith. Oh, it is. You can have it. You can live that. This is not a fairy tale. You can live like this. I know from whence I speak. I've worried before about stuff and I've not worried. Not is better. <laughs> Having peace and joy is better. Besides, I found out the worry does, does no good. It does not help anybody. It's not going to put any money in the bank. It's not going to put any food on the table. It's not going to heal anybody. Nothing. But yet, you know, if you're like I, I mean, I was reared to believe that responsible people worry. I was taught that by example and precept. I mean, if you, you know, if you got bills and you're not worrying, you're just irresponsible. You're sick or you got relatives that are sick and you're not worried about it? Well, you sorry, rascal, you. You just, you just don't care. But see, that's worldly, ungodly thinking. Got to get our minds renewed to realize that if we're worrying, God's displeased with us. I mean, he didn't like it. It's being disobedient. He told us, don't, he didn't say try not to. He said, he didn't say try to be careful for nothing. He didn't say try to cast your cares on the Lord. He, he said, don't be, be careful for nothing. It's a command. Cast all your cares on him. It's a command. It's something he told us to do. To worry is not to be in faith and whatever's not of faith is sin. We're missing it. We're sinning when we're worrying and fretting and carrying on. You've done it, I've done it, but I hope you've repented. Like I have, and we don't have to do it today. The Bible said, unless you be converted and become like little children, you won't enter into these things. Little children, little ones, don't worry. You don't see little two and three year olds out in the sandbox with their head propped up. And you come by and you go, what's wrong, baby? And they look up and say, I was just thinking about the economy. 
You know, what's it going to cost for college tuition by the time I get old enough to go? <laughs> what about the uh, environment? What about, no, no, no. A lot of times you look at little ones, you can tell by the expression on their face. They'd have no care. None. <laughs> and if we were smart, that's the way we would be. And if we were obedient, that's the way we would be. Sometimes people think that maturity and the sophistication that comes with it includes this worry package. That's a lie of the devil. If you're a faith person, you don't worry. Did you get that now? Faith doesn't worry. And I, you know, all of us have missed it in that area, but, but set your heart and set your faith to develop so that you don't. So, uh, he said, take no thought. Everybody say, I'm not going to take thought. I'm not going to take care. I'm not going to worry. I'm not just not going to do it. So verse 33, he said, but do what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Take no thought. For the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Every day he's got enough stuff to deal with without you borrowing on tomorrow. A lot of things that you think might come up in the future, a lot of those things never come up anyway. So just deal with today, have faith for today, get through today and God will be there tomorrow. And we'll get through it. But he wound up by saying, seek first. The kingdom of God. He told them to get back to their first love. And he tells us here, seek first the kingdom of God. First. Number one. And you see emphasis like this in a number of places. Why would the Lord tell us this? Because there are so many temptations and distractions. And so many, many Christians do not have their proper priorities. God's things are not truly first in their life. And it's so subtle. You can have so many things that seem to be so important and you wind up putting the things of God behind them. Behind them. And when you do, you violate the principles of God's blessing. I know uh, some of you might have been here in times past. We, we taught some things about... Uh, I guess prosperity and some things before. And I'm, I might have shared with you that one of the first things that the Lord taught Phyllis and myself in getting us out of just the get by state and poverty state is one of the first things he taught me. And this is after I'd been in the ministry for a while. He brought me to the scripture and he told me that I was not really doing this. Now here I had left home. I'd left family. Uh, I'd gone to Bible school, we're in the ministry, and he says, you're not really doing this where your money's concerned. And yet we, we tithed most of the time, and we gave offerings sometimes. But in analyzing it, the Lord helped me to see that, you know, when money came in, my thinking was, well, I got these bills that I got to take care of. And I got to do this and I got to do this. And then somewhere in there, we gave to the church. We gave to the work of God. And he said, you're violating my first principle of prosperity. You've got to put me first. And you see it all through the word of God. And it's not just with your money, though. It's with everything. It's with your thought time. It's with your life. And it is so easy 
for other things to usurp that place. And again and again, when things are not working right, it's because people have let something else edge in on the number one spot. Don't care if it's your marriage, your home, your business, your church, your ministry, your personal life, whatever it is, you have to be on a constant alert. I mean, think about this church at Ephesus. They're obviously a church that had some things going on. God commends them for their works, for their stand on holiness and righteousness, their perseverance, but he tells them they've lost their first love. They've left their first love. Can you be working for God and have left your first love? You let your priorities get out of whack? Yeah, easy to do. In fact, many, many people are in that condition. We're not to judge other folk, we're to judge ourselves. Check up on ourselves. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put him first. Seek him first. Go to Luke 14, if you would, if you're still holding that place. Luke 14, 15. When one of them that sat at meat with him, that's with Jesus, they were sitting there at the table eating with him. They heard what he said. This person said to Jesus, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And when he said that, Jesus took off on this line. He said, A certain man made a great supper, and he bade or invited many. He sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden. Now, get this clear. He has already sent them an invitation that he is preparing a supper, and they're invited. He wants them to come. He is the master. He's the great one, so they, you know, should be a big deal for them to be invited to his supper. He tells them, I'm going to do this supper, I'm going to have this thing, you are invited. So later on, when the supper is done and ready, he sends his servant to him and says, to the ones that were invited, he said, come. The supper that you were invited to, it's ready right now. All things are now ready. Ready when? Now. And they all with one consent, begin to make excuse. Everybody say excuse. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and and I must. Everybody say must. (laughs) I must needs go see it. In other words, I'm sure you understand. I just bought it, and I got to go check it out. I pray you have me excused. I'm sure you understand. And another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. It's it's a big investment. And I need to go prove them out and see if I got what I paid for. I may, maybe, I may have some duds here. These oxen may not even plow right. And I've got to go check them out. I pray you have me excused. I'm sure you understand. And another one said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. I can't. <laughs> I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I, I can't come. I just got married. I'm sure you don't. In other words, he, he didn't say, I pray you have me excused. I mean, he's like, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't even have to explain myself. Uh, you know, you know, I should be with my wife right now. But the master didn't understand. Everybody say he didn't understand. Now, who is this master a type of? The Lord. Right? 
Is he like this? Is the Lord like this that's being portrayed? He must be. This is how the Lord Jesus described it. And so the servant came and he showed his Lord these things. He said, well, master, he said, uh, I told them he's ready. And, and uh, they said they got this going. And the other one said they got this going. And the other one said he can't come. And, and but most of them, you know, they all said they can't come. And the master of the house was angry. It made him, it made him mad. Now, what made him mad? Think about it. What made him mad? It's, what made him mad is that something else was more important to them than what he had going on. And I'm sure that they felt justified in their thinking. You know, you can hear it in their talk. They're not just, uh, they're not just purposely spurning him. They're not purposely trying to make him mad. They're not telling him, hey, I don't like you. I don't want to come to your dumb party, okay? <laughs> I ain't got time to fool with you. No, 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 no. They're saying, oh yeah, you know, I remember you invited me. I appreciate you inviting me. It's, it's such an honor, but you know, I got, I got so much going on. I just, I can't break loose right now. I'll try to come to the next one. But that wasn't good enough. The master's mad. Do you understand? So many times people, they, they tell their pastors, they tell their leaders, they tell people they're supposed to be working for, or the people they're supposed to be helping, their excuses. And sometimes the people say, oh, okay. But what they don't know is the Lord didn't say, okay. He never said, okay. It aggravated him. Because some of your stuff is more important to you than his stuff. Priorities. Now, all of us have made mistakes in these areas, I'm sure. But we need to see things the way he sees them, don't we? And any adjustments that need to be made, we need to make them. Because this, from the Lord's words here, this is a serious thing to him. He, it made him mad. He, he was angry. And he said to the servant, he said, go out quickly. Go to the streets. Go to the lanes. Go to the gutters. Bring in the poor, the maimed, the halt, the blind. Bring me society's rejects. And the servant ran out and did it. And he came back. He said, Lord, it's done like you commanded. And yet there's room. Now, this is interesting. Who got to go to the supper? They were people that didn't have something else more important going on. <laughs> huh? Maybe from society's perspective, they didn't have anything going on. You know, here's a guy with his bottle, you know, sleeping in the street corner. And the servant comes by and says, Master so-and-so, which everybody throughout the country knew, he's the head man, invites you to his supper. And he says, say what? Can you come to his supper? And he said, well, uh, let me check my daytimer. Nope, I can go. He's got nothing going on. Nothing. Well, see, that's not good. You should have something going on. But can you see the error that a lot of times when people do have something going on, they lose sight of what's important. They think this is more important 
than what the ma- anything the master says should take precedent over everything you got going. Anything. I mean, the slightest thing he would say. Anything. So I'm sure they thought, well, it's just another party. Just another supper. You know. If the Lord says come to supper, what should you do? What should you do? Drop what you're doing. Put it on hold. Postpone it. Call them, whoever else, I can't make it. The Lord has said something. Right? And go to the party. Yeah, but we're just going to have a party. That's not important. The important thing is who said come. Yeah, but all we're going to do is, you know, this natural deal. That's not the issue. The issue is who said come. If the Lord said, come watch the sunset with me, that's that will be enough. Yeah, but I got a meeting with a, with a major board of this corporation and I got this big multi-dollar deal going down. Well, who's Lord? The Lord says, come over here and watch the sunset with me. Yes, sir. Everything else is, we're going to watch the sunset. Yeah, but why is that so important? Because he asked me to. He asked me to. That's all I need to know. If he asked me to do it, everything else is backseat. But knowing that and doing it is two different things, isn't it? We need to know who is Lord. And if he truly is Lord, you don't put him off. You don't tell him, wait. You don't tell him, well, Lord, i got a lot of other things going soon as I can. I'll get to it. Because uh, he, he can get somebody else to do it. He can't invite somebody else to the party. Right? I've had the Lord just in this year uh, teach me some things about obeying Him. In that uh, there were some things I didn't quite understand. And He told me, He said, well, uh, He said, the pre- people I dealt with didn't do what they should do. And I knew you'd obey me. So I dealt with you to do it. That made me feel good. To know that he could count on me. How many know what I'm talking about? And if he says do something, when do you do it? You do it now. And you put all your stuff on hold. Now I won't tell you that I've always done that 100%. I've made mistakes in these areas. But that's one reason I'm able to tell you about it. Is learning about it. Go with me. Hold your place here. Go to Song of Solomon. And I want you to look in the fifth chapter. Chapter five. And you understand Song of Solomon has a twofold application. It is describing the, the joy of love between a husband and a wife. Husbands and wives ought to read this book. Repeatedly. It'll help you. Read it together. There's a lot of revelation in here that you won't see just with your head, but you'll get something in you from reading it. But also, you understand that marriage is a type of the Lord Jesus and the church. Right? So everything that applies to husbands and wives on a natural level applies on a spiritual level to the Lord Jesus and us, his bride, his church. So notice something here. Verse 
1 of chapter 5, the husband says, or the Lord says, I am come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I've drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. I sleep. Now, this is the bride talking now. Verse 2. I sleep, but my heart wakes. And it is the voice of my beloved, my husband, my Lord, that knocks and says, open to me. My sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. My head is filled with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. Now when the Lord comes to the door and he says, Open up, honey. What should we do? Hmm? I mean, no matter what's going on, who's the most important person in our lives? Our husband, our Lord Jesus. Right? So no matter what's going on, we should roll out of there, get that door open, put a smile on our face, (laughs) and say, here am I, Lord. What can I do for you? But notice what the bride said. The bride said, the wife said, I have put off my coat. I'm undressed. How shall I put it on? I've washed my feet. Now see, in those days, they had a lot of dirt floors and what have you. If you got up and traipsed around, you get your feet dirty again. Have to wash them again before you go back to bed. How shall I defile them? She's delaying, isn't she? She's laying there thinking about, oh, you know, I got to get dressed. I got to, you know, I'm clean. I'm in bed. I'm comfortable. My beloved put his hand by the hole of the door. This would be like our doorknob or something to twist it. And my bowels removed in me for him. I rose up, we could say finally, to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the... Now she's ready. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had what? Withdrawn himself and was gone. Why? Took her too long to respond. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him and could not find him. I called, but he gave me no answer. Well, you know, thank God, eventually she did hook back up with him. If you read the rest of the chapter here. And everything was okay. But do you see something here that is a problem? And that's being too slow to respond. In the nighttime, if the Lord wakes us up to fellowship with him and pray and commune with him. We ought not tell him, well, Lord, I tell you, I, I'm really tired right now. Let me, I'll, I'll get up in the morning talk to you. Easy to do. How many ever fell asleep when you should have been praying or something? I mean, psh. But what should take precedence in our life? See, a lot of times the Lord's not just trying to interrupt our sleep. He's not just trying to make us uncomfortable or spoil our fun. He knows the future. He knows what's coming up today and tomorrow and the end of the week. He knows you need to be praying. You need to be getting some things from Him. And right now, while you don't have a bunch of stuff in your head and you're clear, is a good time for Him to talk to you. He knows that. He's not trying to just make it tough on us. We have to watch about having so many other things in our life that's important to us that we put it on the back burner because if the Lord said it, it should take the precedent, put it right on the top. Everything else, second place. 
Go with me. You you were there in uh, Luke, I guess, weren't you? Go back to Luke, but go back to the 10th chapter. Luke chapter 10. This is a familiar passage too, but let's, let's look at it and think about it. Luke 10, 38 says, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. One translation says, elaborate preparations. Now, let's just stop right there. Most of you know the rest of the story, but Martha is cumbered about much serving. Who is she doing this for? The Lord. Right? She wants to do it upright for Him, and that's honorable. The Lord Jesus is at the house. She wants to roll out the red carpet, so to speak. Let's get the good china. Let's, uh, let's put out the, the big recipes. Let's uh, have the nine-course meal. Let's, I mean, let's, let's do it upright. And so she is immersed and in, involved in this. She got the bread in the oven. She got two or three things on the stove. She's got this over here and that over there. And, and sh- she looks up and there's nobody helping her. Mary knows how to help her. She's in there just sitting there listening to Jesus. So every once in a while she comes around the door from the kitchen there and looks at her. And she probably tried to get her attention several times. Psst, hey. Mary just, Mary's focused on the teaching that's going on. Well, eventually Martha just, she's getting agitated by this. And you know, here's a real thing to watch. Watch your peace level. When you lose your peace, you are off. You understand? Martha got to the place where she just, she's fed up with this. Mary's supposed to be here helping me. What is wrong? Don't she know we got company? This is the the most honored guest we could have. And she, she just finally walked to the door and just burst, I guess interrupted Jesus' teaching. Master, she said, don't, don't you care? That, that my sister, that Mary, has left me to serve alone? I mean, I don't expect you to come in the kitchen here and help me, but I'm not, I'm not even your disciples. But my sister, she's supposed to be in here helping me. I know you think so. Tell her. <laughs> Tell her. See, bid her, therefore, that she help me. Tell her to, to get her lazy self up and come in here and help me. Because, of course, I'm doing, you know, this is not said, but it's, I'm doing this for you. Jesus answered, he looked at her and he said, Martha, Martha. That tells you a lot just right there, doesn't it? (laughs) You ought to be getting a clue and already starting to repent right now. (laughs) He says to me, Keith, Keith. <laughs> I need to be bowing my head right there going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Martha, Martha, you are careful. What does that mean? Careful, full of care. 
And you're troubled about many things. Yeah, but many things what? Many things she's doing for the Lord. She's doing this for Him. He says, but you're troubled about a lot of things. Now here's my point. What did she think was the most important thing right then? Yeah, the meal. Taking care of the visitors. And I mean, there is a principle there. We are to be hospitable. We are to do the best we can for God's representatives and for the Lord's work. Yeah, sure, there's a principle there. But there's something more important than that. What did he say do? That's the most important thing. What did he say? And see, she hadn't asked him what he wanted to do in particular about this, obviously. She just assumed. And it's easy to do. It's easy to assume a bunch of things and you'd be just working your little head off about it and be missing God. How do you know you're doing the right thing if you're doing what he told you to do? Not just what is needed, what you think is needed. We're not to be led by needs. Nor are we to be led by opportunities. The world's full of needs. There's all kind of opportunities, but that's not... An opportunity or a need is not a leading for you. We have the Holy Ghost. We're supposed to be led by Him. She, in her own heart and mind, had decided that this was the most important thing that she could do right now, and she was wrong. And she had not only decided for herself, but for her sister what she should be doing too. And she was wrong. You know, you have to watch this. Sometimes other people will try to put pressure on you to do what they think you ought to be doing. And the truth is, they may be missing it. And trying to get you to miss it with them. In doing something for the Lord. Are you with me now? Do you see this? He said one thing is needful. How many things? One. We need to have priorities in our hearts and minds. One thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. So he didn't tell Mary to go to the kitchen. He didn't, you know, Martha didn't get what she wanted and then trust that Martha saw the change that she needed to make. What should Martha have done? When Martha saw that Jesus is teaching, he's got something on his heart that he's ministering here in the house, she should endeavor to see what he wants to do. If she thinks maybe she should be doing something, she should have asked him, well, Lord, do you want me to be working on a meal or something? Uh, he, and he would have said, no, you just sit down here and, and this is first. Yes, sir, fine. It's more important to be led than it is to be thorough. It's more important to be led than it is to be organized. Isn't it? It's more important to be led than it is to be diligent. I don't care how diligent you are, that's if you're chopping down a tree, you're just as diligent as can be. You're swinging that axe, you're sweating, the chips are flying. What good is it if you're chopping the wrong tree? It's not enough to just run your race hard. What if you're going the wrong way? Just that much further that you'll have to backtrack. 
What's important? Hear from God. Hear from Him on it. And then have His priority be your priority. It's so easy to just in our own mind think, well, this is important. Is it? What is the most important thing to Him? What did He say to do? Not just what you thought was important and needful. What did He say? Go back to that. What did He say? If Martha had just stopped and said, now, did Jesus tell me to do this? The answer is no. He never told me to do this. I just decided we need to do it because it's obvious. Everybody's going to need to eat. This food's not just going to jump on the table by itself. Well, they didn't know there had been multiplication miracles in Jesus' ministry. How do you know what the Lord's got planned? Right? The, again, the priorities. Go back where we were. Let's finish this up in Luke 14. This servant came, you know, and told his master that these people had other things that were more important to them. They couldn't come to the supper, couldn't come to the party. And so he told them to go out and get the rejects. Get the people that other folk don't esteem very highly. Because these folks don't have so much other important stuff going that they can't come to my party. Let me tell you something the Lord said to me one time that's along this line stuck with me. I've always liked cars. And when I was a teenager, I liked cars. I spent every dime I had on hot rods. I'd never had much money, but I tried all the labor I could. I'd, you know, go through all the salvage yards. I'd work for a day on sandblasting and painting apart. And uh, finally, you know, when, I, when we left to go to school, I just left my little hot rod. I had a 32 Ford coupe that I had built. And uh, I just left it sitting there. Because the Lord dealt with me that a lot of these things were too important to me. They are taking up to do it too much of my time and what have you. I just left it there, finally sold the thing for parts. And um, after several years, being in school and being in the ministry, uh, I felt like I had a release. I could get another car and it wouldn't be that big of a deal to me now. But you know, some things die hard. Now I'm talking about something with me, but everybody's got their thing. It might be clothes, it might be jewelry, it might be houses, it might be whatever. Everybody's got something that they, they really like, really enjoy. And God doesn't mind you having stuff. He doesn't mind you enjoying it. He does mind it moving in on His place. He is a jealous God. The Scripture says repeatedly, He says, you know, His name is Jealous, capital J. <laughs> Read about it in Exodus, Deuteronomy, different places. He, he talks about it. He is a jealous God. And if anything starts edging in on his place, it aggravates him. And if he sees that anything is more important to you than him and his things, it'll aggravate him. It'll displease him. And if anything becomes more important to you, you're also in danger of losing that thing or that person. No, no one, no, nobody, nothing is supposed to be as important to you as he. No one, nothing. Should, no, nobody's even supposed to be a, a, a real close second. You understand what I'm saying? He is supposed to be number one, no question about it. Anything and everybody else is a definite number two or three or five or ten. The number one spot's got a good distance between it and the number two spot. And uh, I had this new uh, sports car, brand new. 
Man, I was thrilled. I'd never had a car this nice. And and I believe in taking care of what you have. And there was nobody then to, to help me with that kind of stuff. I have some people that help me now with some of those things. But uh, I'm out here washing this car. I always kept it real clean, real nice. I'm washing this car for the nth time. I mean, you know, if you really take care of something, it takes some time. I mean, to really detail something out right and nice. And I did it right. I'd spend hours on it. And so I'm out here cleaning this thing up for the nth time. And the Lord spoke to me. I don't mean I heard a voice, but just in a He said, son, if you don't quit spending so much time on this car, I'm going to wish I hadn't let you have it. And so he talks to you the way you understand. <laughs> And he said, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to wish, I'm going to regret that I let you have it. He didn't care if I had 12 of them, but he does care if it cuts into my thought time concerning him or, you know, time I ought to be doing something else with him. He cares very, very much. You know what I'm talking about now? He says, well, um, go get these guys. They don't have too much going. They'll come to my party. And so they didn't have anything going. You know, the gutter will be there when they get back. So they just, they just came right on. And you know, the Bible says that, you know, you watch the kind of people God has chosen. It's not the super brilliant. It's not the, you know, the super strong. It's, it's the uh, foolish things. It's the weak things. It's the things that are not. And sometimes God, it's not because God has anything against people that have a lot on the ball. It's just a lot of times he called on them and they were too busy. They're too busy building their career. They were too busy developing their talent. They were too, too busy with this and that. Maybe when they get where they want to be, they'll check in with God and give him a little time here and there. Do a little charity work once they reach the top. But if they want to do that, then he didn't want to fool with them. I'm telling you, God is like this now. He He's either number one or he'll have to look look for somebody else. You That doesn't mean you're lost. I'm not saying you're lost. But I'm saying if you want to be in the middle of what he's doing and you want to do his perfect will for your life, there can't be any question about what's first in your life. That's why he told the rich young ruler, sell what you got. Give to the poor. Come follow me. He is not asking him to take a vow of poverty. He's not telling him he'll never have anything the rest of his life. He just knows that money is number one to this guy. It's a big thing to him. And he's got to boot that out of number one place and to get the Lord in there. And he was unwilling to do it. So it cost him. God asked Abraham for Isaac. Surely God wouldn't ask you for your Isaacs. Yeah, but he did. And God's the one that gave Abraham Isaac. But it's entirely possible that Isaac had become so important to Abraham in his old age, and this is his only son. He's rich. He doesn't have to go to work, per se. So what does he do all day long? Plays with Isaac. Teaches Isaac. Trains Isaac. And he, he was covenant partner and friend with God. It's very entirely possible, even probable, that uh, he's spending some time with Isaac, that he ought to be spending time with Jehovah. So God says, well, give him here. Thank God he had enough faith to do it. But he said, go compel him. So they did. 
And verse 24, he said, I, he said, I say to you, none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and he said to them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sits not down first and counts the cost? whether he has sufficient to finish it. Lest haply, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him and say, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sits not down first and consults whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the others yet are a great way off, he sends an ambassage and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Now, who taught this? Who said this? Jesus. wonder if it's still just as true today as it was when he said it. Does it apply to us? Yes, yes. These are some strong words, aren't they? Strong things. And yet there's just one recurring theme throughout the whole thing. Who's first? Who's number one, you see? When he says, whoever comes to me, if anybody comes and doesn't hate his father, mother, wife, children, and his own life, he can't be my disciple. He's not saying to hate people. You know that. What is he saying? Well, uh, Matthew's account of it. He says, he that loves father or mother more than me. Anything that you love more than him is a problem. Anybody, anything. And if you see that you've let anything begin to invade his place, you ought to detest that and and hate that, despise that anything is displacing him in your life and change it immediately. Go with me, if you would, to the book of John. No, no, I moved too quick. You're going to John, all right, but on your way to John, stop by Mark. It's on the way. Mark 12. I want to begin to talk a little bit about this aspect of it. How do you put God first? Are we agreed we ought to put Him first? He ought to be absolutely, unequivocally, unquestionably number one, first place. How do you do that, though? How do you do that? Well, I think you can already see one thing that we saw in this this teaching of Jesus You do not consider anything of yours more important than anything of his. And anything of his that's going on is more important than your stuff. Anything he tells you to do is more important than anything you had thought to do. That's one way you do it, obviously. But let's let's elaborate. In Mark 12, verse 28... Mark 12:28 One of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well asked him asked Jesus which is the what first commandment of all what's number 1 Jesus answered him the first of all the commandments is hear O Israel the Lord our God is one Lord 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the what? First commandment. And the second is like, namely this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's none other commandment greater than these. So what did Jesus say is number one? Love God. Well, that sounds reasonable. But what is the practical application of loving God? Love God. How? With all your being. All your heart, all your soul. Not part. All. 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 Totally. Totally sold out. Love God totally. How does that, how do you walk that out? John talks about it. Go ahead and and go to John now. 14th chapter. Sometimes God lets me preach things. It's Everybody gets excited and shouts and runs the aisles. And then sometimes we preach things like this. <laughs> but we need it all, don't we? Right? I mean, I, I'd like to, you know, stir you up and see you all jump and shout and jump the chairs and everything. But, you know, you do this and you'll shout later. I mean, really shout. <laughs> but we need it all. And we don't just need to camp on the parts that's familiar and the parts we're comfortable with. Uh, the parts we're not comfortable with, we need to go look at those. Because they're all good. How do we put God first? Well, we love God. We love Him with all of our being. But then we could say, how, how do you, how do you love Him? How does that translate? It's easy enough to stand up and say, Lord, I love you. But is that what He's talking about? If you stand up and say, Lord, I love you, does that mean that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? No, that wouldn't necessarily equal that. Jesus defines it for us. In John 14, verse 15, he said, if you love me, what happens? Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Skip down to verse 21. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. How many are hungry to see manifestations of God? Here it is right here. What's the key? What's the key? Well, Jesus gave it to us right here. Love God. How do you do that? Obey Him. Another way of saying keep keep His command. Another way is say do what He says. Do what He said. You know that's the key to miracles. God, you know, miracles are manifestations of God, aren't they? Do you remember back over in John, the first miracle? The turning of water into wine in Jesus' ministry. You know how that came about? They're sitting there. Jesus' mom reaches over and says, you know, they're out of wine. They have no wine. And if you look at the literal on that, Jesus said, well, what's that to us? (laughs) 
I mean, he's not, he, he's, didn't run a winery. I mean, what's that to us? And you know, what did she say? What did she say? Tell me. She turned and she told the servant, whatever he tells you, do it. I'm telling you, this is the key to miracles. A three-year-old could understand it. How do you get miracles? <laughs> whatever he tells you, do it. People have made it so complicated and so hard, but it's not. What did the Lord say? Fill up those water pots. That did not seem like a practical thing to do. We got a party going on. We got guests everywhere. This is a big ordeal. And we just run out of wine, which in this setting, in this circumstance, was a very dishonorable thing to happen. It makes you look bad. It's just a bad situation. What we need is... Wine. And here this traveling preacher. Now we know he's the son of God. But did they see him that way? Here this preacher. Says go fill up the water pots. That's, that doesn't make good sense. To the just the human un, you know, uninformed mind. We need wine. And as a servant you could get in trouble. You're supposed to be waiting on the people. And you're out back drawing water. Somebody hollers for something and the servant's not there. Where's the servant? He's out filling the water pot. Filling a water pot? What, we don't have enough water? Yeah, we got water everywhere. <laughs> plenty of water. We out of wine now, but we got plenty of water. So why are they filling? How, how much water did he need? Well, they're filling all of the big stone water pots. That hold, you know, X amount of gallons apiece. And they didn't have a faucet and a water hose. This is work. This is inconvenient. Well, you begin to see what I'm talking about now. Why people miss it. And with your head you can't see. Why should we be doing this? But thank God. They just did what he said. The Lord says, fill the water pots, what do you do? You drop everything you're doing. I don't care if you're in the middle of something you think is the most important thing you've done in five years. Right? And I don't care if your head says, you are crazy. Why are you out here messing with these water pots? You got more important stuff to do. No, I don't. If the Lord says, fill water pots, that's the most important thing happening. Lord, help me to get this out. It's so important. Again and again, the great things that have happened in our lives and in our ministry came just simply by us obeying God. And when it first began, you know, you would think, why are you doing this? And other people even voiced it sometimes. Keith, why are you doing this? <laughs> and sometimes I had to say, I don't really know. <laughs> Except that I believe the Lord said do it. And I learned a long time ago that that's all I need to know. If you're going to walk by faith, that's all you got to know. God told Abraham to leave his family and his folks in his home. And he said, okay, if you want me to go, okay. Where do you want me to go? He said, I'll let you know later. <laughs> 
he's packing up his stuff. The neighbor is saying, Abraham, I hear you leaving. Yeah, well, you've been here a long time. I mean, you don't like it here. What happened? Well, Jehovah, my God said go. Well, if God says go, I guess you ought to go. But where are you going? He said, um, I think I'm going that away. <laughs> I'm going to start out that way. Yeah, but what city you go? What country? I don't know. <laughs> Jehovah will tell me. <laughs> now, what do people think about you? They think you're nuts. They think you don't even have a plan. God says, pack up and leave. That's all you need to know. Now, you almost hesitate to say things like this because sometimes people will do goofy stuff. And somebody said, what's the difference? The difference is actually hearing from God or just making up stuff as you go along. That's the, if you hear from the Lord and you do what he said, it will work. You will be okay. Well, somebody does something goofy and it's a mess. Well, the Lord never talked to them. They never heard from him. They imagined something. Had too much pizza before they went to bed. I don't know. But why didn't they respond? Because they esteemed something else to be more important than what the Lord said to do. Because oftentimes when the Lord directs you to do something, it may not seem significant. It may not seem like a really important thing, and you may be tempted to put it off. And I think, well, I can do that later. No, you don't know everything. I've had the Lord deal with me a number of times. You know, call so-and-so. That's all I had. Call them. And sometimes I, you know, I might delay a little bit. Because I'm thinking, well, you know, I've got a lot of stuff going on, you know. And sometimes the Lord speaks to me sternly. Call them. Call them now. Yes, sir. Head for the phone. Call them. And I didn't know, but they were going through a great trial in their life. And they were reaching out and hurting. I called a guy last week in another country. Just picked up the phone and called him. He was shocked that I called. He couldn't believe I was calling. And I didn't, you know, I, I didn't hear a thus saith the Lord. I didn't have a vision. But when I got on the phone with him, I knew exactly what to do, how to pray with him, how to help him. And I could tell while I'm praying with him, he, had, he was beat down. He was ready to give up and quit. And by the time we got through praying, he was saying, yes, hallelujah. Yeah, God will do it. I believe it. And I said, I'm with you. I'm standing with you. I'm expecting with you on this. And he sounded like a different man the time we got through talking. Well, the Lord didn't tell me so-and-so in another country is hurting and I got a word for you for him. No, what did he say? That's it. Call him. So when stuff's important, why doesn't he tell you? Well, why don't you just obey? If it's that important, why doesn't he let me in and let me know? Because he is a faith God. And if he tells you to do something, then if you're going to walk by faith, you know all you need to know. And if you have to have the rest of the picture before you move, then you are refusing to walk by faith. You're walking by sight and you are demanding to understand before you move. And you're pulling things down to your intellect saying, I have to esteem it important before I move. I know you're the master. I know you know everything and I know hardly nothing, but I have to know. So they just responded to him. When he said, fill the water pots, what did they do? They filled them up. Thank God they did. 
They went out there and they sweat and they toted water from the well and they kept pouring the buckets in there and they didn't stop. They filled it up to the brim. They came back wiping perspiration off their brow and said, we got them full of water. He said, all right, go take some, dip some of it out and take it to the governor of the feast. They probably looked at each other and thought, oh, man, no way. I mean, you could get demoted. You could get sent to the rock quarry. You know what I'm talking about? You could get in major trouble for something like this. He calls for wine. You bring him some water. They could just see the governor of the feast spitting this out and go, what is this? Who brought this? When the Lord says do it, what do you do? What's the key to miracles I'm talking about now? What's the key? Whatever he says to you, just do it. Financially, people need miracles in their life. A lot of times they need miracles. They're in such a bad way, in such a tight way. They need a miracle, a breakthrough. What's the key to getting a financial miracle? Do what he says. I had a lady, I was in a service a while back, and she came up to me at the end of the service and handed me a crumpled up one and some change. And she's dressed real sharp. And she got, I think she got a dollar and 78 cents. And she said, I didn't want to give this to you. I argued with the Lord the whole time. I'm embarrassed. And I said, well, don't be embarrassed. I've given quarters and dollars and fives and, you know, lots of times. You got what you got. Right? And the Lord says, if it's given with a willing mind, it's accepted according to what you have, not what you don't have. I said, well, no reason for that. She said, well, I fussed with the Lord the whole time. I did not want to do this. I said, well, don't feel like that. I receive it gladly. I prayed with her. I said, Lord, bless her with a good harvest. Before she could get out the door, somebody handed her a $100 bill. <laughs> and she needed it right then. Well, see, in her mind, she's thinking, why dollar and 78 cents? I don't want to do that. But what, she got a miracle right there. Amen. What was the key to her miracle? Doing what he said. Just doing it. I'm telling you, again and again, great things that have happened in our life and ministry are things we just obeyed. And, and your head would have talked you out of it if you'd listened. But how do you know you love God? You do what he says. If you love me, he said, you keep my commandments. Let's keep reading this. John 14, verse 21. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas said to him, not Judas Iscariot, but another Judas, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loves me not keeps not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's which sent me. Verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the father. And as the father gave me commandment, even so I do. 
How did Jesus say that the world knew he loved the Father? He did what the Father said to do. How do people know that we love God? We do what he tells us to do. Now, see, that's different from modern psychology about relationships and et cetera would teach. Uh, a lot of folk wouldn't accept that if somebody said, if you love me, you do what I say. See, a lot of folk wouldn't accept that. They would oh, well, forget that. But that's what the Lord says. And that's the way it is. You can say, I love you all you want to. But if you don't do what he says, he says, you don't really love me. You love what you want. You love something else more than you love me. If you love me, he said, you do what I say. How do we put God first? Well, we love him. First commandment with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do we love him? We love him by doing what he says do. Now, we've given some brief examples of it, but I, I want to go into this area just a little bit. Your love for God is demonstrated in your love for people. Your respect for God is demonstrated in your respect for people, particularly His people. Your commitment, your faithfulness to God is demonstrated in your commitment and faithfulness to people. It's easy enough to say, well, I love God and I'm sold out to God, but uh, I can't work with anybody. Not so. What did First John say about loving God? If a man says he loves God and he hates his brother, what's the real situation? He's a liar. That's not so. Your love for God is shown in love for people. And, and the, the New Testament commandment, he said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. The New Testament commandment is to love each other. Love one another like he loved us. And so keeping the commandments of God boils down to doing things for people. Loving God equals obeying Him. Obeying Him equals doing things for people. Helping people. There's no such thing as serving God and not helping people. Sometimes people think, well, I can just pull off by myself and... God and I have a wonderful relationship and everything's great and I'm serving God over here just by myself. God and I, no, no, unless you're affecting people some way, then you're, you're not demonstrating love for Him. And in helping people, there is the daily things that you have contact with people. You can pray for people. You can give to people. You can do things for them. But then there's the things that directly affect the larger kingdom business and work. There are some people in the kingdom of God that God has called to start a church or to pastor a work or to head up a ministry or a mission outreach or whatever. The number of those that are truly called to head up, to start, to pioneer is a relatively small percentage of the whole body. There's some, I should say, that are called like that. But then there are many, many that are called to hook up with somebody like that and to help them, right? And in doing that, they serve the Lord. The Lord on his throne does not need anything from you personally as far as affecting kingdom business. I mean, you can give him your praise, you can give him your worship, 
your adoration and your personal communion. But he does not need money. He does not need things. He does not need things in heaven, but his people do. His churches do. His mission outreaches do. And in helping people that God has joined you to, you help God. In serving people that God has joined you to, you serve God. And how do you do it? The things that God has called those people to do and told them to do should become important. Because that's how you're serving God. And how many know that helping people involves a lot of natural stuff? A lot of natural stuff. But there's a lot of people that, that they don't see the spiritual significance of natural things. They don't see things that affect the pulpit. They don't see things that affect the outflow of the ministry. I mean, the people that help me. Phyllis helps me. I have web secretaries. I have people that have a guy that helps me with the vehicles and everything. They don't realize. For instance, the guy helps me with ministry vehicles and stuff. I want my vehicles clean and nice. If they're not, it bothers me. And if i got to get out there myself, then I'm not going to be as rested. You understand what I'm saying? If something is not taken care of and I have to think about it and I have to go over it, then it takes a little bit of edge off of me. Natural stuff. Whereas if everything's done and I, and they're not fussing with each other and they're not having problems and they're doing the job well and top notch and I don't have to think about it, I know it's going to be done and done right, then I give myself totally to the word and to the ministry. Not divided, not distracted. Now I've learned even if something is going on to not let it distract me, but it's something else you got to deal with. Some other thoughts you got to cast down. An extra effort you have to put into not worrying or not thinking about it. It it takes spiritual energy and resources to do natural things. To go shopping and find something. To clean up or tune up a vehicle. To trim the lawn and work in the yard. Work on a building and clean up a building. It takes spiritual Energy, energy from the inside of you that fuels your body and your mind. It takes thought effort as well as physical. Some people I said, God will tell to start a church, pastor church, head up a work. Some. But many, many more people he tells to help this person. You help them. You hook up with them and help them. No telling how many people God has told you help this this individual, you help this church, you help this ministry, you help them. When God says that, what does he mean? You help them. That means if they need anything or want anything, that's priority. It's the same thing as the Lord needing it. Now, I know a lot of folk don't look at it like that. They don't think, and I'm not telling you something I don't practice. I'm not telling you something to benefit me. But if God tells you to help this church, this work, somebody else, then what should you do? Whatever he says, you do it. And it should take precedence over your stuff. 
If somebody that God's told us to help, if, if, if they need something, we put everything on hold. And it might not seem like a significant thing to some people, but all we have to know is they want it. Or they need it, and God told us to help. I've had a number of people talk to us about helping us. And a lot of people talk about helping the ministry and doing this or that. And sometimes if something comes up, oh, they'd love to. But you know, they got this going on and they got that going on. Well, a lot of times I don't call them back. Why? Because see, they have no revelation of what God told them. You know what I'm talking about? Do you know God needs you and his people need you when they need you? Not when it's convenient for you. I've noticed again and again, when God dealt with me to do something for somebody, it wasn't convenient. Again and again, when God's dealt with me to sow and to give to people, it wasn't convenient. Again and again, when he dealt with me to do something, sometimes, you know, when people need you, it's three o'clock in the morning and you were sound asleep and they're a hundred miles away. It's not convenient for you to get up and go help them. But when do people need you? They need you. When they need you. And people would look at this and say, well, you know, if the Lord invited me to come, I would come. Oh, would you? You can't wait for a monogrammed invitation from heaven. How are these invitations going to come? What did Jesus say? In as much as you've done it. Under the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. How How is the invitation going to come? Well, to help God's people, to help his churches, to help his ministries, to help his works. And if God gave a place in your heart for them and he told you, help them, what does that mean? How much area does that cover? I mean, that is big. Help would include anything they need to do what God has directed them to do and the church to do. You don't have to pray over every little old thing. Well, they need somebody to, to be on the witnessing team. Well, they need somebody to work in the, with the children. Well, they need some, you don't have to get before God for three days and fast and pray to see if it'd be okay for you to do it. If God said help, you know, you have to watch about telling the Lord what, what your ministry is not. The Lord, that's not my ministry. Filling water pots is not my ministry. <laughs> it's not. God does not give you job descriptions like people look for. He just tells you, do this. And that means everything that it entails. Every detail. If he tells you to help the church, then anything and everything the church needs, you should try to help that. And you should just keep popping up. If they say we need something, you should keep popping up and say, I'll help. You want me to help? And if they say no, you say, well, okay. <laughs> well, no, we don't need you on that. Okay, just want to know. I'm here. I'm available. And, it, and, and you hear people, you know, I've, I've heard people say this before. They're praying, oh, God, use me. Please use me. Oh, God, I want to be used by you. I want to make a difference in my life. I want to make a difference in the kingdom. And, and somebody call on them to do something. We want you to work in the parking lot. We want you to help clean the church. We want you to do this. We want you to do that. And maybe they start doing it. 
And then they do more and they do more. And I've seen these same people come and just cry and go, I just feel like I'm being used. (laughs) Well, I thought that's what you prayed for. I just feel like I'm being used. Well, you got to make up your mind. Do you want to be used or not? If the Lord sent you the invitation, what would you do? Would you say, well, I got some stuff going, Lord. I come to the next one. Well, no, none of us here would knowingly do that. But yet we're not going to get an invitation floating out of heaven and a chariot ride there for a party right now. So how does this apply? We've explained it. Look at the scriptures. How do you put God first? You love him with all your being. How do you love him? You obey him. How do you obey him? How do you help him by helping people that he's raised up and joined you to? And by putting those things ahead of your things. But uh, when the invite comes, respond. I said respond. I don't care if it's sweeping a floor. I don't care if it's filling a water pot. Whatever he says to you, do it. If he says help them, then you make sure that you help them. If you don't help them in an area, it's because they didn't want you to. They wouldn't let you because you were there. You were available. And no matter what you had going on, you gave that precedence and priority. And that's like I said, that's easier said than done. Because you can have a lot going on in your life too. But who's first? You or God? Well, God, of course. Yeah, but how do you put him first? By putting those and putting those things and those works first that he's joined you to and directed you to. I know I've gone on and on about it, but I wanted to sink in real good on you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your spirit. Thank you for your mercifulness. Thank you for your kindness, your graciousness. Pray this out loud with me, friends. Father God, I pray and I ask you to show me, remind me, if there are those that you've directed me to help your works, your people, your ministers, your ministries, if I fail to help as I should. If I've procrastinated, if I've put those things off, forgive me. Have mercy on me. Forgive me for thinking that my things were more important than your things. They are not. And I purpose to put you first and to serve you in serving the people And the works that you've joined me to. Make it clear to me. Who and what you've joined me to. And told me to help. And I'll do it. By your grace. In Jesus name. Hallelujah. Thank you Lord for helping the people. Thank you for helping us everyone. To get clear. To get settled. To get our focus right 
and to put you first in the practical applications of obedience with your people and with your works. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.